Good evening and welcome back to Farsight. Once again, I'm Hiker. And I'm Zayden. And we've wrapped up the round of eight in the World Championship with two close matches and two less close matches. We'll be breaking them down and previewing the f- semifinals, but before that, give us a follow on whichever service you listen to us on and catch me at Hiker Speaks on Twitter where you can get updates from me. And uh, at Zayden underscore RC. And with that taken care of, I we actually have a little bit of news this week. It's a little bit preliminary. It's mostly rumors, but the rumor is that ESAR is actually going to be dissolving after the 2020 season, and J-Team is actually supposed to be buying out the slot for them. This is really unconfirmed, but it does add up with a stream from PDD, which kind of alluded to a bit of a conflict between investors in ESAR that would be leading to them dissolving the organization and allowing for the buyout to come through. Typical rich people having their fracas and uh, disagreements and going at it by like tearing apart something they have a mutual investment in. It's definitely something that I don't have a whole lot of details on and there might have been more alluded to by PDD that would give us a little bit better of a picture of it, but I did not watch the stream. Um, uh, how do the you more know interesting he gives up on his proud enterprise? So this is this was definitely a matter out of his control. Yeah, and PDD, from what I understand, was not one of the investors being named in that whole deal. He'll definitely end up with some other investment in the LPL. I'm not really too worried about it from that angle. But J-Team moving to the LPL is a really interesting one. Uh, There was actually a little bit of talk to suggest that he would be able to use his brand in order to avoid some of the buyout price. No idea if there's any teeth to that. But there's also even a preliminary roster that has been talked about a little bit. Uh, Only four players of the support hasn't even been rumored yet, but the rumors were the three players from Suning, Biu Biu, um, Weiwei, and Sam D, who were previously loaned to Victory 5, and then on top of that, adding in Uniboy from the PCS. I mean, the thing about JTRO leveraging his brand to sort of cut a deal makes complete sense to me. I mean, he showed up for the for an LPL Finals feature, I believe, where like he, he played like a show match with former members of RNG. And, uh, and, it, and that wasn't the first time he did it either. Like, he did it this year, he did it like mm-hmm. a, couple, a couple of years ago. And we know he's like a massive League of Legends fan as well. Um, he, well, he were our J-team after all, and he's always been like quite public about his interest in the League. And with the World Finals coming up in China, and with Worlds coming to China yet again next year, and there being a live audience actually the next time, uh, I, I think it makes a lot of sense that, you know, they've struck up a deal with Jay Cho and been like, Hey, whenever there's a world championship or MSI in Asia, like, uh, would you be down to perform? <laughs> uh, because uh, it, I think having a figure like him is very important for expanding the LPL's kind of like global brand. Like, although JTRO is kind of like very big domestically, he also has an international audience. He's probably like the only Chinese pop star that has, yeah, that global outreach and. So I think for to, to get him on board into like actual league esports, uh, in a in a major region no less, it's uh, we'll see. But I mean, you might have thought the same about Imagine Dragons. I think they bought into a team, and but it's not like we've really seen more of their performances. Mm-hmm. 
But it is important for growing league as a brand because um but that said, uh, there are a lot of people I know of who, you know, they, they're fans of Imagine Dragon. And whenever I told them at university, like, oh, did you know Imagine Dragons are huge League of Legends fans? And the song Warriors was actually produced specifically for League of Legends. And, and then they'll be like, no, you've got to be lying, man. <laughs> and uh, I met with, like, doubt, incredulity, and skepticism. And uh, there's a shame, really. But I think there's less of a doubt about uh, J. Cho because, you know, He's Asian and uh, sort of playing league and being into the esports is much more widely accepted there. Yeah, and it's also like he's been so much more directly involved with it, right? Hmm. But it almost makes me wonder if J Team's PCS kind of adventure was almost getting his feet wet in the industry and seeing if there's a little bit more for him to gain. It will, of course, depend on whether the J-Team buyout ends up materializing or whether it ends up just being a rumor, but it kind of seems like things line up with multiple people's stories at the same time here. Mm. So I'm, I'm curious to hear more, and I'm kind of leaning towards there being something to this one. Yeah. Uh, for me, it's definitely a shame that E-Star have gone boom, and if they have gone with a new roster, like I have to wonder about you know the existing players in E-Star and what, exact, what will happen to them. Uh, as but as for the players, the J team plan to pick up. Like I have no complaints. Like it sounds like a solid lineup so far. Yeah, I mean you've got Biu Biu and Sam D who were definitely known more of as role players when they were on the Victory Five squad, but they performed admirably when they were there. And you've got Weiwei and Uniboy, both of whom have been really solid in the most recent performances we've seen from each of them. Uh, the, that's quite uh yeah that's a really impressive mid jungle duo so i think that like depending on what they end up doing with support i think that that can be a really strong roster and having bubu and sam d i think actually opens them up to trying to bid for a more expensive kind of commodity at top or ad carry and then benching the player that um that they bought from Suning's uh, youth team because I think that either one of them could use a little bit more time in the LDL and probably wouldn't be too unhappy about it. I think my thoughts go like this. The Chelsea, uh, like if they if they can negotiate the E-Star buyout in such a way that they can get him on board, that would be very smart because yeah. he, though, though there are there's Miko on a free agent market as well, like I would love to see him at top esports, but I suppose if, if he's all about making a lot of money at the end of his career and going to like a team of rookies, well, not rookies, but like, you know, less senior veteran players, then, you know, that, that going to, yeah, going to J team could be an option. But I think Mako has the spirit of a title contender, so I, I don't see that happening. He, I think most likely he either stays at EG or goes to another top team, like top esports. Yeah, that's kind of my instinct with him as well. Um, with the E-Star players, I think that they're probably going to go mostly to highest bidder. Uh, Wink and Chelsea as a duo, I could see them getting bought by J-Team just because like, it, it would fit and it would sort out kind of their import slots because Uniboy and Sam D both are going to take up a slot. I think IG should potentially go for them. I say IG could look for them. I mean, there's for those two players in particular, there's a lot of potential destinations. Yeah. Um, 
it's going to be a bidding war for them. I think that uh, Wei will also definitely find another job. Wei's great. Like he's he's not Wei Wei's level, but Wei was he showed remarkable growth as a player. Like he obviously we we discussed about him in spring how he was a player with like sort of clear weaknesses and limitations. He worked on them in summer and like kind of although I would not quite put him at the top top echelon, he kind of grew past a lot of his weakness. He's shown signs of development and progress. And yeah, because one of the things that. Uh, one of the things we were most worried about from him was the champion pool. And that was really the thing that he seemed to have worked on the best during yeah. the summer split. And I think in summer split, uh, Eastar's feelings really didn't come down to him. It was more that you, you lose crying, you lose that stable mid lane presence and instead you get FanFan. And mm-hmm. I don't want to hate on FanFan. He, he did the job that was asked of him, but like crying was just so much of a better fit for that specific iteration of the team. <laughs> Yeah, it gave them a lot more ability to, to carry specifically through mid lane instead of using mid lane as a facilitator. Uh, because they didn't really have a carry top laner, which was the, kind of the other way that it seemed successful to build a roster in summer was to have a facilitative mid and a hard carry top. Yeah. They kind of had both positions as a little more facilitative, which meant that they had very little option but to dogpile bottom lane every game, which was not a winning line as we saw from Fun Plus. Is this where we complain about RNG? <laughs> I think that with RNG, I don't want to blame them too hard for what happened with Kryon because it was clearly them trying to swing a multi-team move and get him to LNG where like they would get Flandre in return. I think that was the goal for it, and it just kind of fell down when it came to when when it became out that Uzi was retiring. Yeah. Okay, uh, I think that LPL is looking to expand to about 20 teams. Do you think that, uh, I think it's with E-Star Boom J-Team coming in, that's still 17, right? Do you think that the rest of the LMS is going to look to buy in, for example, AHQ, Flash Walls, recognize historic brand names? Oh, and incidentally, J-Team, J-Team is the ghost of Taipei Assassins. So that, that's another like sort of legacy thing. It's like as if Gen G went to China and, you know, you could theoretically say they're bringing their two world, uh, like that Gen G would be bringing their two world championships if they were to move the region. And perhaps the same could be said of J Team. I know very controversial of me to say, I think your PCS fans would be like, you can't take that away from us. <laughs> but um, but I'm just saying it's big that a historical successful mm-hmm. org or at least the sort of legacy of it is like sort of going to like another region. And that's big for like the region it's going to. Yeah, and I think that there's, there is something to be taken from that specifically. Fnatic were one year too early when they said China had three world championships. Or maybe four. But I think the way we can look at it from the PSES's angle is the the region has definitely been dealt a bad hand, but it's also a bit of the LPL sphere of influence expanding quite a bit. And the more teams we add on to the LPL, the more that they're sucking up players from Korea and from the PCS, the more like resources they're eating up, right? And that's going to kind of put them at the center of the region even harder. I think the there's a chance like maybe a few years down the line that we could actually see PCS kind of 
like dissolving as a riot controlled region and then kind of going the way of the OPL where their players will no longer count as imports for LPL. Mm-hmm. But that's super speculative. Like that I don't think would happen until years out unless there's something bubbling under the surface that we've never even seen. I think the death knell of the PCS and LMS was when Casa moved to the LPL. You'll have tons of Korean players see that you can be paid like five to ten times your original salary in the LMS have like international accolade and success and in an environment that like you know you pretty much are culturally familiar with you you pretty much like the same food so like you don't end up really missing home food if that makes sense like sure taiwan has like sort of specialties in their cuisine which distinguish them from china but but so it's, it's also really easy to visit taiwan from china as well and, and yeah and it's also just you know, Maple and Solot see, no, and Betty as well see Castle like win MSI. And they're like, why didn't we try this earlier? We're stupid. And then they like move straight to the LPL. And that was Castle and Solot re- reaching world semifinals for like the first time in their career. Uh, and one of them is definitely going to go to finals. You'll have like an entire generation of L- upcoming like sort of LMS PCS players go like, we could choose to stay in the LMS PCS. Or we could like sort of have a throw of the die and and experience success on that level. And I think that for a lot of players, they're not going to have the opportunity to immediately go over because they cost an import slot. But it will it, it creates a situation where the LMS is all or the PCS now is almost a feeder league into the LPL, and that does feel bad if you're the minor region in that scenario. If you're the PCS, but yeah. I think that that's just kind of a consequence of how much growth we've seen in the LPL. They're now the largest region by a wide, wide margin. I disagree with the notion that, you know, they take up an import slot. So therefore that that could be an issue. I think that it is an issue if your import does not begin speaking like the same language so fluently and is not willing to learn the language, like, you know, cultural clash, like communication issues. But that's not an issue for Taiwanese imports because they're all fluent in Chinese. And as we've seen, it's pretty much an immediate switch and an immediate culture fit. No issues whatsoever. They, they fit like a cog into a well-oiled machine. Yeah, a lot of them are actually like the, the team players of the roster. Like we see Sword Art and we see him in comms and he's, I mean, he's, he has a really naturally loud voice, so that does help him in that regard. But he's definitely one of the people gluing that roster together. Yeah. And I think the taiwanese like if you had an equivalently proficient taiwanese import side by side with an equally proficient at league korean import it's a no-brainer to go for the taiwanese import unless the korean import had like name recognition brand going for them if that makes sense because uh, I, I think teams teams can make sponsorship deals or generate revenue through like name power as well uh, and that's the whole point of franchising Mm-hmm. I do think, um, and the reason I mentioned the import slot is mostly for players like more, more on the lines of Maple, who oh, really wasn't oh. able to carry his weight as much compared to other players that you would be spending an import slot on. Oh, I definitely wouldn't disagree with that. Like, I think Maple, like we, th- there's no need for the likes of Maple. And um, I wish it was someone like with Maple's work ethic and attitude, mm-hmm. but with Fofo's skills. But well, of course, we've all got different issues with him. Let's let's be real. Well, of course, uh, Maple is not on Fofo's level in terms of skill and Fofo's attitudes, and yeah, it's just not as exemplary as Maple. It's just a shame it works out that way. 
But I, I think that for the future of the LMS and PCS, it's very grim. Like, I think that yeah. team buying into LPL will only accelerate the demise of the LMS PCS in terms of being like a kind of OPL or minor, reg- minor feeder region type of status. Yeah. I think that they are currently sitting at like a minor region plus a half. But I think for any fans of the LPL, though, this is good news. Because uh, the the LMS PCS has historically been a region that has produced good teams. Recently, maybe not, but like historically, yes, and like it, great players, or like talent players with lots of potential. And previously, that's not something you could, uh, the LPL could really tap into because the established names were sticking around, trying yeah. to like forge an identity for the LMS and PCS. And it was only once they'd given up, really, that we saw like sort of. LMS PCS imports and just how successful they could be. I mean, and even after the fact, we we get these teams like I mean, like Machi had a really good showing, right? PSG Talent had a really good showing at Worlds comparatively to their expectations as and, uh, and Uniboy and Kongri might be already immediately be going to the LPL, and they were like, and we've got the rumor already with Uniboy and Kongyue. I don't think would be lagging that far behind. I do think that compared to mid lane, like jungle, most teams are a little bit more satisfied. But yeah. it, there's, like, there's no way that you don't eat, you don't at least look at him from a talent perspective because he put on a show when he was put on that PSG talent roster. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I think that kind of uh, gets us towards quarterfinals, doesn't it? Yeah. Shall we start? Uh, I think we should go chronologically. So we should start with Damon DRX since that was our first series. Yeah, the, the first one we had was the rematch of the LCK finals, Damwon Gaming versus DRX. And when I was watching this one, my main aim was to figure out if there was something that had really changed and in the matchup after the summer finals, which were also a 3-0. Maybe something in the meta, maybe something in the attitudes of the players involved that would make it have a different texture to it. And I think there was a shift. It was just kind of a shift in the same direction because DRX lost in a really brutal fashion and it just did not look like they were performing it looked like i mean pretty clear mental boom from drx kind of from start to finish i actually there were a couple of people on my twitter feed who were saying that they were watching the pro view for daft and it cryptically alluded to just him looking really really depressing um from a, from a draft perspective, DRX was really focused on the bottom lane. They were drafting what were supposed to be hard-winning lanes in a meta that really we've always been looking at as a utility AD meta, with the Jin, with the Ash, with the Senna being the three most prominent picks, and then the only carry-style bot laner that we're even putting up is Ezreal, who is a little bit more of an off-carry. You pick him mostly for safety, and then he can carry. Yeah. Like things like the Caitlyn, and I think Ezreal as a pick is predicated on the idea that your team can survive until you Mm -hmm. get the Man of Muni, like the fully stacked one. Uh, And but by that point, your team might have already conceded too much, and like uh, been snowballed against before, like like for you to be effective, even if you hit that spike. And this kind of, a, kind of a meta does feel like one where previously Deft might pick those like AP bot lane champions that he is really known for uh, in both leagues that he's played in. But we didn't really see any of that 
We didn't see I mean, the lane kingdoms. I don't think any other team are going to pull that out, to be perfectly frank. And it's not like Perks wasn't practicing AP bot laners in uh, mm -hmm. the super server or scrims, from the sounds of it. But it's just G2 determined it doesn't work. And if G2 can't make it work, I don't see what, because, you know, Perks is so proficient on all these AP mm -hmm. majors from his, like, years spent mid lane at, like, an elite level. I don't see how, like, an AD carry main is going to sort of pull these out and magically, like, make them matter. I think my concern for the way that DRX ended up going towards the bot lane was more that they would just go straight for lane kingdom. And then they wouldn't, then they weren't winning lane. And, yeah. then, and when Deft yeah. is losing lane to Ghost, you feel really bad if you're DRX because that's probably the one lane that they can actually reliably get a carry out of. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was very tragic that Deft would pick, like DRX and Deft would pick winning lanes and he'd lose them pretty hard. Uh, I think one of the issues is I think, I actually think it wasn't necessarily like they were hard winning lane because in a sense that down one would make would pick like supports that could that have a lot of early agency for example the leona and that's why daft ended up burning both his sons like i think leona like which support this tournament has looked bad on leona i think leona's like an s tier pick for support and like i think she's comfortably above the rest and with bard i think bard is situationally s but i think leona is like just s across she offers frontline and cc and that's all you really want to ask for in for support in this meta. I think, yeah, most importantly, she offers like lockdown and she scales relatively well as like a frontline thanks to a W and aftershock, even into like the late game. So it's not like she gets like giga outscale or anything. And like her lockdown potential like doesn't change throughout the course of a game. Like if she lands like CC on someone, they're CC'd for like the next three or four or five seconds. So, so I think that people perhaps don't give enough credit to like Leona pick. Like sort of when you say, ah, oh, like on paper, yes, DRX have drafted like a winning lane, right. but they have to play like very optimally to like make that lane win. And the, they have to keep dodging Leona CCs because the moment one hits, like that's just sums gone. Yeah, and I think that when you're drafting a bottom lane composition that has to get ahead early, and then you're going into a Leona whose main goal is to just try to get a good all-in on you. If you're trying to push and be greedy into a Leona, then you're setting up for that Leona. You're doing their job for them. And that makes it like even more balanced on a knife's edge than the matchup normally would be. Yeah. Uh, as far as it goes, the Leona, of course, even got better because the normal answer to it was the Nautilus, which would kind of just handshake with it. But Nautilus has been dropping off in priority really sharply since the shield nerf. So I think that Leona is definitely one of the stronger picks in the meta. I think mostly everybody plays it except for top esports, and with top esports, it's mostly because of Yuyanja having a really heavy preference for uh, enchanters. That's a massive liability for top, and um, I I really hope they can resolve it sometime soon. Like nothing against Yuyanja, I know he's a really hard worker, and that he too knows that he's the like liability on the team, but like he's trying hard and there's nothing you can do about it. But so not being able to have this STL Leona pick in their pocket reliably is just a huge liability for like top esports. And I think Tom is like one of their answers to it. But like if the Tom gets banned, like it, to 
or like if the enemy bot lane picks like a draft that counters Tom, it's a very steep road for the top esports, as we've seen in like sort of their Fnatic series. Yeah, and we'll have to get into this on, on a more uh, in-depth level when we get into the Sooning versus Top Esports semi-final that we're looking forward yeah. to. But back to Damon Gaming versus DRX, that's why I don't think that, like, sort of... Like, yeah, Def drafted, like, sort of winning bot lane, but it wasn't like D, uh, Damon didn't have the tools to, like, sort of hard engage and nullify, like, sort of the winningness of DRX's lane. Because the engage and kill threat outweighs like the sort of like ship damage that like the Caitlyn is gonna put out potentially like the Caitlyn plays perfectly and never gets hit by CC then yeah like sort of Caitlyn like in theory she hard wins that lane but uh, the reality was Death got hit by CC Death burnt his sons and that's why like ZRX weren't able to like sort of win the lane they were expected to win yeah, and you and you can criticize it. You can look at the pro view, and you can be like, "Well, Deft walked really walked forward really hard and tried to get this auto attack off when it was like clearly a greedy auto attack to get off." But if you want to win lane at the highest level, you have to be willing to take any greedy maneuver that you think won't get punished. Right? That's just kind of the way it works. And Deft, here's the thing for Deft: you can understand he was trying to force the issue because that's basically what Deft's mindset would have had to have been for this year on the whole. Deft is getting to be one of the older players in the LCK now. And his timeline, as it were, it has to have been a constant subject on the minds of his fans and himself all year. We all have these like vivid reactions to the images of like Uzi's reaction to what happened in last year's Worlds. And that proved to be his last tournament as a professional before his retirement. It's only natural that people imagine this is kind of the same image, that same reaction for Deft. He's similarly been having health issues for a little while now, and they're all pretty public. And, I mean, for so long in his career, Deft was defined by his rivalry with Uzi. That it's, it's just kind of hard to watch him go down in this manner after kind of in the same year we've lost Uzi to his health issues, right? Uh, I, I do feel very sad for Deft. He's an absolute legend in the game, and I know he's been grinding hard to try and win worlds for years upon years. But I know with injury, like I, I just don't think like I think he's only going to continue hurting himself, like to keep going at it. Like, has a great player ever recovered from like a huge injury? Esports is like. Esports is quite different from regular sports, true that, but but like it seems like the way Deft wants to keep going at it will only exacerbate like his interest, like how can he recover? And if he can't recover, how is he gonna return to like his previous form? And beyond that, like Deft is getting on an age, like could it just be his uh, sort of mechanics are like sort of naturally falling off? as the years go on, like, this suddenly doesn't feel like 2015-2016 death. Even, like, pre-herniated disc spine. Like, already looking at the KT-IG series, where, like, IG narrowly won that 3-2, Deft was not really imposing himself throughout that best of five. So I would argue it's not like he had this sudden drop-off. It's kind of been, like, a gradual decline over time that is, like, quite palpable if you were like paying attention this whole time 
So maybe I think that maybe the best thing for Deft is to just hang up his boots, go into coaching and like maybe coach a team to world championship and vicariously experience like lifting the world trophy that way. If he's truly passionate about like trying to win the world championship. Yeah. He, he has alluded to that in interviews in the, uh, in recent history. Cause I think the other issue is right. I've mentioned this before. Deft is like the senior on DRX, correct? Like, and maybe that could also be holding back DRX. Like when they look to him for leadership, and it's not that he wants to be leader, but he has to be the leader because he's the most senior. And maybe yeah, like you know, he's as being a pretty emotional player. Like the, this kind of pressure in best of fives, it's the kind of thing that's going to put him like in a certain mindset, and that might not necessarily be the position that you want your leader to be in, right? He would ideally be less affected rather than more affected by these things. And Deft yeah. has always been that guy that's just so incredibly passionate when he plays. Anyway, I, I do want to lavish praise on Damwon. They, they comprehensively outplayed Damwon across the board. It, I thought it was even more demolishing than the, than the finals back in summer. Mainly because Deft was like actually worth and truly and truly failed to exert any kind of agency. Whereas in the summer finals, he was at least like trying to 1v9 and putting his mark on the game, right? But this time, no. Yeah, th this time you didn't get it. And you can kind of blame that on the, um, the kind of facilitative mid lane meta that has been shaping up in world so far, uh, which is kind of getting a little bit less pronounced with what we saw on the LPL side of the bracket. But... DRX didn't really do... They, they didn't make a huge amount of proactive plays for most of the series. And Damwon is an interesting case because they're a team that has spent pretty much all of the summer preying on these teams that kind of tighten up and they play too slowly in these high-pressure moments. And that means that they're a lot more dominant the higher the pressure gets, right? What I'm interested in seeing, and then we'll have to talk about it with the semifinals a little bit is will Damwon have the same ability to show up in these high pressure moments when their opponent isn't backing off when their opponent is playing more proactively rather than more reactively in these uh, high pressure like situations anyway I think we should move on to the next set of series I don't know what you think oh think sorry one last thing I want to add is you know how funnels is live right with a live audience. Yes. Um, my hope as an LPL fan is that Dan Wong perform less good. Uh, and they're just a scrim online team. Anyway, moving on. Oh yeah, because there will be a smaller, but still there, live audience for the finals, right? Yeah, and we know how loud Chinese fans can be. But moving on to JVG and Suning, this didn't turn out as we expected. I think last week, both of us predicted, you know, I said my heart's sooning, but my, my head tells me JDG. And that's and pretty the, close to where I was at as well. The reverse turned out. Like, what, why? How did it, why? How? Tell it to me, Heike. I think that, like, in, in hindsight, you want to put this as JDG adapting poorly to the metagame and them just kind of being a little bit less prepared. It did, it did seem like they weren't quite their draft kingdom selves. Um, they, like, they didn't feel super cold. They didn't feel terrible. 
like going in and losing a in summer and losing a best of five to top esports that doesn't feel bad right that's like a close series that puts them at, at clearly at number two at the very least but when they came into worlds they put a lot of priority on the lilia they kind of drafted a couple of team compositions and didn't deviate the, from them too strongly uh, having zoom be pretty consistently on the renekton and the volley bear is another thing that feels like a like a kind of consistent tell for them in pick ban and I think that both of those picks have shaped up as being a little bit less powerful in the meta so far. So it's possible that their prep and their scrims just kind of led them down the wrong path as far as the meta is concerned, and that kind of ended up hurting them. Yeah. I heard it didn't sound like GG were having the greatest of times in scrims. Yeah, they Either. weren't necessarily being named as being the scrim gods uh, by any of the players in interviews, which isn't something that's too surprising. Uh, coming from the LPL because they were never the scrim gods domestically either. Hmm. I, I I will agree that the Lilia priority really hurt uh, JDG. By the way, it's just a thing where we all expect JDG to level up in best of fives and JDG to really prep for their opponents, for them to have a good showing, and for them to play their best League of Legends when it gets to those best of fives. They were, they've been doing it all year. They did it in spring. They did it in summer. A little bit less so in the uh, mid-season comp, but we had mitigating circumstances there with the schedule being so packed. So for them to come into a best of five versus a team that they should have had enough tape on, like Sooning is not unfamiliar to them, even though they didn't meet in the summer playoffs. And they got, they got beaten handily. It wasn't a complete stomp. It was a competitive series through and through. But Suning was definitely like 100% the better team. You cannot call it a fluke yeah. in terms of the imagination. Well, I think game match three was a bit of a fluke where Bim got like that double kill level. Well, I'm not going to say fluke because obviously Suning planned it. Yeah, it was, a, it was a prep. Yeah, but like sort of that, you have to say that was a bit lucky. Right. And I think perhaps that was the breaking point of the series that tilted JG to another dimension. Yeah, and... There were some team fights that were definitely not um, not played completely optimally by JDG in Game 4, which was, I think, their best opportunity to kind of get the series going in their favor because they were on the back foot. Yeah, Yagal's TF was not it today. Like, it was pretty good against Samwon, so, you know, I can see why JDG would be confident in, like, picking this TF, but it just didn't work. Yeah, and it felt like it, it just had enough answers from the team composition that Suning did end up playing. Um, I think that the Camille being pretty much banned, I think that really hurts uh, JDG because they were one of those teams that was really good at the kind of Camille TF drafts. But in general, it just felt like they didn't have their bag of tricks because JDG's always been able to kind of finagle these draft wins even without having like a lot of pocket picks. Because that's not the manner in which they draft. They draft kind of relatively comfortable picks for all five of their players, but the way they fit together is always what makes it a good draft for them. And we just didn't see much of it. Here's one thing, though. I think the, I, I think the it also I think just Yagao, like he showed up for game one, but it just wasn't his date. If that makes sense, like I, I think Yagao is a better player than he demonstrated. Like, yeah, he, he is better at certain champs like Zoe than other champs, but 
he's not that bad at TF. Like we we all like Gallio, we've seen him like pop off on these picks before. It's just the nature of how the best of uh, five shaped out. Uh, I think momentum's a big thing. JDG also, it, it's the first time it was, right? Pressure's quite high. And uh, it, it can cause series to shape out in a way where like uh, the momentum and the pressure affects players in unpredictable ways. I thought Zoom was fine for the most part. It's not his fault. But, oh, like, Zoom was really good. I think Zoom was single-handedly keeping them in the series in a lot of situations because the way that he would find these flanks on the Renekton and the way that he would kind of get these lane setups and like even in the game where he was having to lean against a game like with the machine, like he was relevant in that game. He provided utility to his team in that game and that's more than you should be able to expect from like a laning situation that's that incredibly one-sided. He didn't um, allow Bin to like explode into the game past that point. Like, yeah, Bin did eventually explode into the game, but as in what I'm saying is it wasn't like he was chain feeding Bin kills. Exactly. There's a lot of weaker top laners that would have just basically handed the game to him on a silver platter. And yep. Zoom wasn't that weaker top laner. Zoom, um, I, I would still put him as the best top laner in the tournament so far. He was really. He was really good in this series, and he's been good through the tournament. Uh, he He's kind of the favorite of a lot of analyst types and the people who tend to do a lot more uh, kind of analytical looking at the matchups between these different players. Zoom definitely has the leg up in like matchup knowledge and wave management and all of those, I guess, knowledge-based skill sets. Whereas I think if you're going to look at 369, Nuguri, and Bin, you're trying to look for just flat-out mechanics, and all of them are really good at that. I the think... Way, it's hard to knock 369 on the account of the former. That's I think Bin is very excellent, but he's rather limited as a player. <laughs> and I think if his team has to keep banning on... You know, I think that sooner or later, JDG, oh no, sorry, sooner are going to, I don't think they get away with these drafts against top. Why do I say that? They keep banning on and Lucian, even on blue, even on blue side, they will ban Lucian. What does that say? It says that they don't think that Angel can play Lucian. With the Lucian, I'm not. And Knight does not have a champion puzzle, unlike Yagao. Knight will have a lot of hard punishes. And I mean, we'll have to make a more firm prediction about how that series is going to go up. I would like to give a mention to Kanavi, though, because Kanavi is in a bit of a strange position. Um, I was putting him as the top jungler going into the tournament. I think that a lot of other people had him at least in the top three, depending on whether people thought that uh, SFM had a, like a f representative playoff performance, because... I think that if anybody looks at the way he played in playoffs, they would they would have been putting him top three for sure. But if they think that, that was a fluke, then maybe not. It turned out to definitely not be a fluke, and SFM has been uh, hard stomping pretty much everyone so far. I think the thing with Kanavi, right, is that he essentially has two kind of weak side-ish laners who facilitate him. Right. And the problem is, in this meta, you want two strong side solo laners who can like give you prior to carry out your invades. 
Yeah, and neither of his solo laners are really want to pick things with super hard push, right? Super hard wave clear. The TF was the the answer for that for Yagao, but that also like it has its punishes to it, right? There are things you can pick into TF that can make it way harder for him to play the game. Yes. And I think that was the crux of the issue for I mean, Zoom had lane prio in a couple of those matchups into the gangplank. I think more than that, it was the um, when your pressure from mid collapses, it's very difficult because then top and bot can both be invaded. It's not like where you only lose top, so only your top is like getting invaded. It's when you lose mid, like both of both your sides of the map can be invaded, and like you're all like if you try to invade, like their mid lane will quicker. So it was just. Yeah, I think Kanavi could have done more to help Yagao. That's what I think. I think that in the current meta, like, junglers often live or die by mid lane. Right. It, it does almost feel, though, that we didn't get to see the real, like, LPL Kanavi. In, yeah, no, I agree. In, in any point, really. Um, he, did, he did really good in one of his two games versus Canyon, and he had some games where he was playing really well in this best of five, but... Overall, it does leave me feeling a little bit disappointed in, I guess, just the way that Worlds shook out for him. Because I do think Kanavi is a really good player. I think that anybody who's trying to give him the Dade Award for getting knocked out in quarterfinals versus the best jungler in the tournament, they're losing their goddamn mind. But I, I would have wished to see a lot more from him. I figured it out. It's the, it's the, it's the DRX DNA. It's the CV Max DNA. It's, it's the... It's the inevitable best of five choke <laughs> on an international stage. Where am I? Where Where are my like cookie points? So I think we talked enough about Suning and JDG, but as I said, I think Suning will have a much tougher time into top simply because they they can't get away with just like on Lucian bans. We can't get nine is not Zoom in the mm -hmm. sense that he will fight bin pound for pound. And he also has the Zion as well, Zion. And I, I'm interested to see who will prevail between like the scaling gangplank or like the, the the scaling damage gangplank or the scaling tank Zion. I think we shouldn't get away from it too quickly because I we we have to talk about Huan Fung, right? We've been talking about Huan Fung all year, but we still have to talk about him. I think because... giving Gen three series in a row is pretty questionable when. GG have seen in the LPL that this guy's an absolute beast at Jin. I, I think it's pretty much uncontested right now who the best Jin on the face of the planet is, and it's this kid. Huanfeng put on a clinic. Four games. It was it was four because that's the that's the script, right? Uh, four games on the Jin, and this was the first time that we really saw him just popping off at World so far. He. Hmm wasn't really at this level versus G2. G2, we kind of talked about it. They put a lot more focus on him and Huan Feng was dying in a lot of these team fights. But he gets this Jin and he just takes it into his own hands. He's playing out a lot of these team fights where he's the one flashing forward. He's the one on a flank and he's really turning these fights by himself. It's just high execution plays that he's going for and he's pulling it off every single time. This was... One of his best series total, uh, even going back to LPL, it was it was a performance for sure. Mm -hmm. And that that's that's the stuff for like it's going to be Jackie Love versus a fully empowered Huan Fung, and I really do 
think that that's going to play out, I guess, in a more interesting way than it did in the summer playoffs. But I think we can mm-hmm. start talking about the uh, the one and only TES versus FNC that we also had the day after because that was, I mean, this is the marquee matchup after the fact. This is something that has never happened before. We finally got a reverse sweep in a best of five at Worlds. The- I was prepared to pretend that top, who is top? They're not an LPL team, <laughs> but um, they they rescued that series. So, well, I think Fnatic did very well to exploit top. They clearly look as Lyric said, right? As Lyric said on on the world's cooldown, Fnatic clearly looked at the V five playbook of how to beat top esports, uh, and it was to focus bot lane super hard. And it was like I was watching that V5 game where they beat top. Where, like, I, I think Yanja died, like, three times in the space of, yeah. like, five minutes. Uh, and and, and it, was, it was working. I'll, I have to give Fnatic credit for that. But once top figured it out, like, I do think they were on the precarious knife's edge in the sense that with game four, if Nemesis had used Galio maybe one or two more times, the outcome is less likely to be a top win. And Fnatic, you know, they might actually just outright win. But history shakes out differently. Yeah, and this is a team... I mean, we people in general were looking at top esports as like the juggernaut coming into the tournament, right? They were one of the teams alongside JD Gaming that just kind of dominated their region and they were kind of being pointed at as the favorites. But if we go back, even kind of to spring the narrative around this team a lot of the time they were just being kind of considered as playoff chokers right a team that would be able to be looking good on their way to best of fives but then they wouldn't be able to drive it home right in 2019 they had a lot of issues in the playoffs in spring split they ended up losing a uh, in, in a really brutal fashion in a best of five to jdg it was still a close series but you saw the, you know, you get the highlights where uh, Knight is losing a 1v1 to Orn top lane. Uh, there were some really interesting Baron goals by both teams that just kind of made it look a little rougher for TES than it could have. So until you got to MSC, until you got to the summer playoffs, that was the consistent thing about TES, right? That was what kind of defined this team in a lot of people's heads. This level of clutch where they pull off the reverse sweep, they're have a margin of error of absolutely zero and they clutch it every time. That's not what we're used to from the, from, I mean, Carsa from Jack. Well, Jackie love is a little bit different. And from recovery to avoid being one of the first team to be reverse swept. So I think it's really a story of growth for TES. Like this is something that they never would have been able to do before they got Jackie love. And even after they got Jackie love, it's, this is probably like the first moment that they would have had this level of clutch. I think that Jackie Love, credit goes to him. Like, I think, I think the voice comms have shown that even when they were behind, he was, he and Carter were both rallying the team morale, making sure it didn't, you know, crash and burn. And as you said, it's unexpected of Carter. He was known as this crybaby who like choke and mental boom when he was on Flash Wolves and RNG as the emotional player. 
But now that he's become the veteran, the oldest player, the, the dad that like his teammates look up to being like eight, seven to eight years older than some of his teammates, he stepped up to like that role the best way that he could. And he tries to be that rock and stability for, for his sons. And a lot of the time, even in spring, we were looking at Carsa as being like the guy who could flop from like, you know, Mr. Radar to being pizza, right? He would, he, he would be prone to having these emotional series where he would have issues even that recently. So like, this is a really rapid, really strong growth from him. Um, and Carsa, I mean, you could just go back to 2018 when there was that fateful series that he and RNG had versus G2. And yeah. he had subbed out in game five because he just was too emotionally compromised in order to close out the series. And that was one of the reasons why RNG couldn't take it home. Um, so I think it does come down to Jackie Love. I think that that's really what you have to put this on. And Jackie Love's leadership, turning this team into something that can actually clutch these moments into being big game players rather than like potentially playoff chokers. Yes. And I think in the voice comments, Jackie Love says something like, we are legends. Legends never die, I think. We are legends never die. (laughs) Yeah. I thought that was, uh, that was, yeah. I hope that goes down. I mean, it's lucky for us now that there's also a translation of the, of the mic check on, I is it LPLs or is it Top Esports YouTube channel? It's one of the two. But that kind of can give you a better window into just how much Jackie Love kind of carries the mental attitude of Top Esports. Like, TS, like, like Jackie Love, he's had these moments in the past where, like, he will get punished for an E forward on Ezreal or, like, positioning aggressively on one of his other picks. And Unlike, I think, most every other AD carry I've ever seen, he's not going to take the, like, quote-unquote lesson from that and start playing more passively afterward. Jackie Love is still going to go for those, like, absolute carry plays. And, I mean, if Jackie Love moving forward on an AD carry pick in Game 3 or Game 4, if that goes horribly wrong for him, then Jackie Love has single-handedly lost his team the series, Right. So to have the confidence to keep going for these plays for him is, I think, one of the most impressive things about him as a player. Mm, I, I do think that he was a liability in the best of five. And uh, I, I wouldn't read too much or put too much credit into his AD carry performances. Like The only credit I'll give him is that he didn't tilt into oblivion. But it wasn't yeah. like he was like in groups form, like absolutely smashing fools. As for the series, I would attribute the comeback to 369 and Castle. 369 was an utter rock in top lane in three and four, which is, and he's, I think he single handedly won TS both of those games, to be honest. That 369. Well, single handedly, sorry, no. But then he was the biggest breaking point, single handedly yeah. the biggest breaking point, and Castle sort of played, played around that very effectively. I think that in the mic check, I think it was before game three, uh, they caught Yuyan just saying, uh, like, you know, who's the best Scion in the world? 369, but Knight like chimed in right before he Let said me. that. Let me. Yeah. 
Uh, I think three six nine Sion very good. I'd be interested if top go go against when top go against Suning. I'd be interested to see like who prevails in the gangplank Sion like matchup. I think I just want to see more LPL Sion. Yeah, like, I think Marcus Nielsen was really good across. I think from three to five. I okay. I'd say I'd say if we were only looking at three and four overall, uh, three six nine is the most important player. But like from three one from three to five, it has to be like Carter because three six nine faltered in the final game. But that was when Jackie Love and Carter picked up and Knight as well. You know they were like, "Don't worry, you carried us to this point. We'll take over." That was like such an anime moment, man. And that's honestly like kind of the story with TES is that they have it's like the Ninja Turtles Heiko, where like Splinter has grown old, but the Ninja Turtles are like, "Don't worry, we've grown up." We're, we've got your back, Sensei. Like, <laughs> oh god. Yeah, di- 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 dissecting the series, I think. Yeah, pretty much top figured out what Fnatic were trying to do, and they re- responded accordingly. Yeah, and the flexibility of top esports is really one of their greatest assets because there's a whole lot of teams that, you know, once their kryptonite is found, like that, they're never going to be able to adjust their overall play style in order to swap it out. The um, I mean, Curse's Lee Sin was actually one of the best answers to what Fnatic was playing, right? He was able to just completely flip the matchup in mid lane and kind of take over the jungle from there, which is a way of playing this jungle first meta that it's it's like off meta, right? It's not necessarily the normal way of going about it, but Carson made it work. And he made it work in the clutch, which I think is twice as impressive. But we just have to remember that self-made was essentially playing without a mid laner in way. And I think mids live or die by their... No, sorry, jungles live or die by their mids this tournament. And that having a pressure vacuum mid, like, it, like, it, it will make you unable to play jungle to, like, the maximum level that you possibly can. And I think against better mid laners, against better junglers, Carter won't have this free ride. Yeah, and I I don't actually know if I expect him to be playing Lee Sin versus uh, versus Suning. I think that's a really dangerous idea. Yeah. But yeah, I think that um, Fnatic and having like their kind of weird issues with Nemesis in the mid lane, it looks a lot similar to WE and the way that their mid jungle plays out because Bei Shang, of course, is that super carry in that jungle, and he's also dealing with a mid laner that loses a lot of prio, but in losing the prio, he also ends up playing facilitative for the junglers. So it like self-made individually loses less than he would if he had like a carry mid laner that was flopping, but it's yeah. still a pretty difficult situation to play out for him. To explain Fnatic spans in game five, by the way, because people are like Fnatic are trolling. They realized their strategy of targeting Jackie had been like figured out by top. So they tried to ban like all the stuff that could peel for Jackie. Syndra with her QE, Set with his ult, Lulu with her ult EW, and Yumi with like her just everything, yeah. Well, you know, this is like Yumi and um, Yumi and Lulu are two of the picks that Yuyanja's been going to over and over again. And he looks a lot more like a lot more workable on those picks than he does on nearly anything else. Yeah. And I think the red side, just a thing to mention, 
throughout the whole of the quarterfinal matchups, red side, like suddenly it went from blue side dominance to red side dominance. And I think that's one thing that does kind of shift between, I think, the LCK side of the bracket and the LPL side, because I think that on the side of the bracket that G2 and Damwon are playing on, I think blue side probably still is a lot stronger because they're more about the power picks. They're not necessarily playing for lanes so much that the counter pick is going to be as influential. Yeah. Whereas the LPL teams are absolutely playing for those lane counter picks. And I think it's going to be really crucial in top esports versus Suning. It'll be interesting to see that clash in the finals. Because uh, then we have two teams who prefer playing on, who, who potentially prefer playing on red. Uh, coming from one side of the bracket, going up against one or two teams that prefer playing the blue side. So maybe we'd see a full series of just like the Chinese teams opting for red and G2 or uh, Damwon opting for blue. Anyway, uh, just to top off like what we were going to say about Top and Fnatic, I have to give great credit to Fnatic though, like People, LPL fans will be, but like, I do think there's a midpoint where, like, sort of, it wasn't that, like, people are saying, oh, like, Fnatic, they could have won and they, they were the better team. And, like, yeah, they could have won, but that doesn't mean they were, like, the better team. However, there are also, like, people discrediting Fnatic and going, like, oh, they got lucky, they tried to cheese it and they almost got away with the cheese. Like credit should go into like sort of the way they prepped for the series, and had they had a stronger mid lane, I think they probably could have pulled off the upset. To be honest, yeah, I think that they were kind of just one weakness too heavy for themselves to be able to just kind of pull off that upset because they absolutely did find the sucker punch that would put TES on the ground, but then you don't get the knockout, and it just kind of ends up getting turning into a brawl from there. But then my question would be, does, do you think this weakness will be uh, like thorn in TS's, TS's side for the rest of the tournament? Or do you think they'll have figured out, you know, this is the weakness and they'll come up with like sort of countermeasures going forward? I think that out of the rest of the teams in the tournament, G2 will, would probably try to hard focus bottom lane because they are the kind of team that will look at a weakness like that and assume that they will be able to execute better than Fnatic did. Yeah. I do also think that top esports kind of figured out how to play around it. And I think that they're going to be looking at that as a potential maneuver for every opponent that they have in the rest of the tournament. So I expect TES to have more cards to play if that kind of a focus comes at them again. Tiap Esports is one of the best teams at preparing for their opponents in the entire tournament. So I'm not sure. Top has never given me the they they like link they typically linking them in like team death. And against JDG, who on paper they should just be. They just get like out strategized, out draft, out planned, and it makes JDG look stronger than they actually are when they bring it so close or just outright win. And I think that that is just an issue with Top's preparation. Like so many of like these losses. Like, you knew from a mile away Yagao was going to, like, pick certain picks. For example. You knew from a mile away that, like, Kanavi has, like, this certain style in which he's going to approach the game. Yet, you still, like, sort of let them run circles around you. A team that you then demolished, like, Suning, like, just comprehensively beat them 3-1. 
And it's the same with Napoli. I think the top, they're either arrogant or they just have like a coaching slash scouting staff which are incompetent. That's what I think, at least. This is so, carried by player brilliance. Because your 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 side of it is definitely the more established side. That's like the the prevailing narrative. So it's definitely on me to try and put mine forward. I think that the series between JDG and TES showed a pretty good degree of preparation from TES. Less so in the draft phase, because I think that they had just kind of an idea to pick for themselves. But once you got into game, TES had a lot of ward timings. They had a lot of lane state manipulations that were designed specifically in order to shut down Kanavi. Right, the roams yeah. from three six nine and from night in order to catch Kanavi in his own jungle. The ward in three six nine's own tri brush rather than the traditional river ward in order to waste a lot of Kanavi's time in the top lane. There were a lot of these things that would repeat themselves in order to target specifically Kanavi and make sure that he couldn't take over the game in the finals. And I think that there were also a lot of um, similar preparations that you saw in the playoff matchup between Suning and Top Esports, where they found out exactly what picks that Suning wasn't able to deal with, right? They knew that if they, that they had to encourage Suning in order to pick a uh, counter pick for Angel, because Angel wouldn't have been confident in going up against Knight in a mano a mano. And then that meant that 369 automatically got the counter pick in top lane. And that was kind of the story for the entire 3-0. So top esports, I think that yes, they are leaning on their individual brilliance in a pretty good capacity, but that's not to say that they don't know how to look at their opponent and create a game plan around it. I think it just usually happens more so on the rift than in Pikman. I do think they created a plan to shut down Kanavi, but I think a lot of that relies on player brilliance in the Oh, yeah. Uh, I think Casa has his reputation as like the radar. Mm-hmm. And I think that without that radar playstyle, maybe Top is not able to approach with that kind of strategy in mind. Yeah, I think that Karsa's strengths are pretty much what allows them to even stay in games versus some of these carry junglers because it is it puts so much pressure on him in order to track correctly. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, they probably just get rolled. But that's not, that's not to say that they don't plan. It's that their like their plans do require their players to also be just kind of ridiculously good. So I I think that we've talked a lot about top and Fnatic. I think one interesting thing to speculate is how Fnatic would have done against JDG. Yes, um, I think that we actually have a shot at saying that Fnatic could have taken that series because you have Fnatic hotter than normal and you have JDG colder than normal. It's hard to really predict it from that angle because JDG also has their strengths in a lot of the same places that um, that Fnatic had their strengths. So it would have played out a lot differently. But if you just want to like put a temperature check on each of the teams, Fnatic was at a hotter temperature in the quarterfinals, right? And that means that they would have at least had a good shot. I'm not sure. I think the the reason why Fnatic won uh, the two games off top was that they hard focused bot and they cheesed Fnatic. No, sorry, Fnatic cheesed top in a way, very smartly, and their prep was very good. But what kind of prep could they do for JEG that would allow them to like sort of cheese or exploit JEG? Because I think that I think that JEG were like sort of more brute out brute forced by Suning. Yeah. 
And I don't think that Fnatic can really predict, like, you know, that uh, Fnatic weren't really going for level ones either. Correct? They were not. And I think that that was probably the right move for them. Um, like, they're not going to do level ones that catch, like, JDG off guard. So I'm less inclined to think, you know, that. And I also think Whipper is not exactly a top laner, though. Like, he's a, he picked a Singed, right? I think Zoom would play around that a lot smarter than Ben would. Yeah, it's a good counter pick individually into the Orn because it has um, the ability to stop him from ulting back. It has a lot of ways for just denying Orn to be able to play the laning phase in a normal manner. But yeah. it's not like it's not like a hard counter where where uh, Zoom wouldn't have any options. Yeah, but I guess my point is that I don't think that Fnatic get away with cheese in in their draft and in their approach against JEG because can you really focus Loken and Lumao? They'll just play weak side. And, and like where JDG lost critically, Heiko, where JDG lost was execution around objectives. They'd keep on losing the team fights. They'd lose the skirmishes. They'd lose like the they they'd lose like sort of they lost the level one in game three. And where they lose are not points where I think Fnatic are stronger because Fnatic were getting out team like Fnatic lived or died by like getting the pick spot lane. And like they lost, they lost the team fights. They lost the skirmishes. They lost, like, yeah, you get the idea, right? Yeah, that, it, I think so, you're. So I struggle to see like how Fnatic's strong point is like a strong point that like exploits JDG's weak points, because yeah. I don't see how Fnatic outbrute force JDG the way that Suning did. Yeah, Suning's game plan doesn't work for Fnatic, and Fnatic's game plan that they showed versus oh. Top Esports, it wouldn't work versus JDG either. And where JDG collapsed was around mid lane, I guess, in some ways, where Yagar was not like as much of a presence as he could have been. And Nemesis is not going to be the person to exploit that. Like, I think Angel plays very aggro. Yeah. And Angel will like, push his leads when he gets one, but that's not Nemesis. So I don't see how... like And Nemesis was the liability for Fnatic. So when you chip two liabilities against one another, I, it's hard to say, like, who will prevail. But, like, looking at the rest of the team, I would, I don't know, I think I would give the edge to JG myself, because I think that Zoom would not, like, sort of int into Bwipo, or, like, give Bwipo what he wants, and play very smartly to, like, sort of nullify Bwipo. And I would say Luke and Luma do not fall for, like, the cheese that, like, Jackie and Yandra fell for, and they, they'll they'll play lane just fine. Reckless won't accrue like a lead that he can show up to team fights with, and I think Logan Luma will then out team fight at objectives. That's my opinion. So I would give it to JDG, and you'd give it to Fnatic. I think it's very interesting that we, because I think the I'm not disagreeing with you. I think the case could be made that like you know Fnatic storm is really far, yeah. and they've shown the ability that they can plan. So it's not yeah. to say they would have gone with a bot focused approach. I'm just saying that if they were to plan, what approach could they have gone for? Because I don't think they have the natural talent that Suning do to then outforce, if that makes sense. My uh, my mystic vision of how a Fnatic win would materialize is JDG kind of keeps their Lilia priority, and then Fnatic crafts a level one around shutting down the Lilia, because it kind of turns the game into a coin flip yeah. that's a little bit FNC favored, and I think that that's a line that they can play out in order to win a best of five. Depends well, on how you Nemesis and Reckless are so risk-averse, as we've seen, and that's why we haven't really seen Fnatic opt into these like risky level ones throughout this tournament. It's just, 
if your mid lane is not even ulting on Galio, it's too risky, or like it, it's like he doesn't like engaging. Then like, what hope do you have that like he'll start like a taunt level one just for the sake of winning level one? And the answer is like five percent chance he will. Like I just don't. Nemesis is not that kind of player, and that fundamentally hurts Fnatic in these theoretical like kind of. Yeah, it's a lot of like visualizing the matchup and everything. I, I think it's close at the very least, and I'm JDG is a really formidable opponent for FNC. I don't think it's even close to free for him. But yeah. uh, that's pretty much the series. Uh, are you ready to go into Gamers Two versus Generation Gamers? Yeah, I'm down for that. Let's go. All right, this one. Well, first of all, I'll pose a question to you. Was this more or less brutal than the series with DRX versus Damwon? I think it was less brutal because I guess uh, G2 outdrafted or faked their compositional execution. And it, whereas with, and it wasn't like they out, they smashed Gen G, right? It was more like they got to their wing con and realized. Whereas Damwon, it was just, they, they even when they had theoretically losing matchups, they just smashed DRX. They just team diffed across the board, and I think G two did team diff down a generation game, but like the wins were less like a hard smash, and it was more like of a the classic Korean choke, like, like where they will slowly choke out like generation gamers. And generation gamers even had leads in like a lot of those games, and I don't recall DRX ever having a lead in any of those games against Amwon. Yeah, I, I think that, um, I guess the reason why I think it looked pretty bad for Genji is mostly because they just never seem to really have their, an idea of how to play towards a win condition, or they, maybe they didn't even really have a good win condition in some of these games versus G2. Like, the Camille, like the Camille Nidalee TF draft is something that I think every team in the tournament has been looking towards. And G2 gets it in the first game, and they predictably just hard smash on it because it's a really, really strong draft, right? That kind of went even for a little while, and then G2 turned it on, and Genji got super caught out in their own jungle. Then Genji plays it, which is, it's not something that Genji has really been known for playing so much in the LCK. It's not really their style. They're more of a team that, wants to be playing team fight style, right? Mm -hmm. G2 cannot play to that win condition. They're not able to accelerate a lead or anything like that. G2 has a composition that at least has the ability to play into it. It's not necessarily like a hard counter, but you have the Shan, you have the uh, Tom Kench with the global ultimate. Like you, you have the Silas that can steal the TF's ultimate. Like you have at least moves that you can make and Genji didn't press any advantages at all. They just didn't really... They didn't play proactively enough to make the draft worth it. I thought the Tom Kench and the Silas were huge because you and the Shen because then you just out global the TF. Like, how right. is the TF going to like outmatch that global pressure on his lonesome? And the answer is he doesn't. Yeah, there there's always like a play that Gen that G two can make that neutralizes what the TF can do. I think that G2, like just literally outdrafted Gen across the board in terms of um. Yeah. Yeah. They outdrafted and then they really kind of outplayed in game. They have counters for like drafts that they anticipated Gen G to come up with. And I think that's the strength of Red Side. It allows you to anticipate 
Like, whereas on blue side, you're dictating the draft. Red side, you're kind of like reacting to the draft. So, and there is kind of one L that G2 took in this one, and that's that they had to show their counter to the Damwon, like, comfort team comp, right? That Camille, TF, and uh, Nidalee composition, like, G, uh, Damwon loves that comp. That's one of their absolute favorites in the entire tournament. And now that they know what G2 is planning on playing into it, unless G2 is trying to kind of level their opponent and go five head on it, that's actually something that Damwon can now look at and be like, hey, I, we can kind of create a p potential counter to this team comp as well. We can ban the Tom Kench if they're trying to go for this team composition or like, you know, X, Y, and Z. Maybe it's me. I don't recall Damwon running this comp. Other than, like, uh, I think the very first game against JDG, they did. Uh, not, it's not so much at Worlds. I think they did it more domestically. Oh, right. Fair enough, fair enough. It's also, I mean, it's not necessarily just a Dom 1 team comp either. This got played a lot in the LPL, and that's actually one of the things that I'm most curious about with, uh, like, Dom 1 going into LPL teams in the finals, potentially, is, like, when they're going up against teams that know this team comp and how it plays and like they can't take away the champions really easily like is it going to work as well or are they going to complete completely different stuff but it's something that they're definitely super comfortable on and i think that g2's preparation against this draft is probably preparation against damwon yeah. rather than gen g because like gen g like this is not a look that they've shown it's not something that they're comfortable on so it might have actually been them accidentally forcing G2's hand and kind of taking the taking bullet for uh, down one, so to speak. I don't quite. I, I just think G2 were like, because how many bands are you going to have as down one to try and deny like that TF counter comp or like the, the Camille Nidley TF counter? Yeah, I might. If you're down one, you want to ban like, I don't know. Syndra on one meta jungler. And I like, okay, say you, you remove one of those bands and slip in, like, say, a Shen. You've still got Silas Tom Kench. It's just too much to ban, like, two of Shen, Silas, Tom Kench. It's, it's pretty difficult. It uh, depends on how, on whether they get to second ban phase, but. My guess off the top of my head is that they use that one ban on Silas. They plan on dogpiling top lane because the Shen doesn't get as much value out of Vaulting himself. And um, and then Tom Kench doesn't necessarily matter as much because Tom Kench doesn't have that much range on the global, semi-global. But that's like my off-the-top-of-the-head thoughts that uh, could play out a whole hell of a lot differently. I think there's less to talk about with Gen G and G2 because, yeah, just... But because uh, it just seemed that like, yeah, G two were out and out the better team and had the better players across the board. Yeah, it, it did feel a little bit for Genji like their meta just wasn't world's meta at all. Yeah, like, with the Azir Prio and yeah. they want to play team fight League of Legends. They want to play like five v fives. They want to yeah. They want to handshake and say don't don't like play for like picks on side lanes and let's just all be happily farm it out and then meet up at Dragon or Baron. Yeah. But that's not how G2 play ball. G2 will like go to your side lanes, pick you off, smash you, get those advantages a minute, 
to two minutes in advance. So, the, oh no, sorry, not two minutes. A minute in advance, so that they like have the advantage when contesting drakes and barons. I think even if it was straight up five v five, and, and not just that, they will concede dragons outright to get those picks and objectives in like side lanes turrets. Yeah, and we even got to see this. Like the the gold lead just kind of got out of hand before Genji even had any threat at a dragon soul, and that's uh, that's also something that's just. Like, it shows that Genji's way that they intend to play League of Legends just didn't match up very well into the tournament. I think that the same weaknesses are exploited by most of the teams in the, at least in the round of eight. My gut tells me that Dam One will beat G2 in the upcoming semifinals. That's also my gut feeling. I think that there are arguments to be made for G2, but those arguments are mostly like, we know G2 as being able to make a lot of really good preparations in draft and in game that go against specific teams. So I think it, the battle goes between like G2's ability to prep draft and the fact that Damwon hasn't actually had to show very many of their cards all year, right? They've been hard stomping so many of their matches that they could have a whole bag of tricks that we don't even know about. And G2 would have clearly no answer to any of that. I, I'm excited to see the series. Down one seemed very cocky and confident. G2 are like trash talking. Regardless of the result, it'll be fun. I think. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's going to be an entertaining series. We're just in the pregame because, uh, I mean, these are the two teams, like, they, they're fully representing their regions right now. The LEC is represented by Ooh. G2. Wait, as I they- did this last week and it worked. My, my head says down one, but my heart says G2. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I can't in uh, in good faith root for G2 in this one, and I'll tell you why. Um, G2 won the same matchup last year, which means that if Damwon wins it this year, in 2021, we have the potential to get an absolute, like, you know, decider, like, grudge match best of five between Damwon and G2, and I just can't pass up the opportunity. I'm, I now, we know your real reason is that you find G2 fans insufferable on Twitter. And Reddit. Look, <laughs> all G2 fans, okay? I'm not going to make any wide-sweeping generalizations like that on... But we know it's what you secretly think, and it's not its not actually the grudge match. <laughs> I do want the grudge match. Well, the though. grudge match is a PR, it's PR speak, so that you don't, like, alienate G2 fans. But, but I know what you're thinking. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm being outed. <laughs> anyway, I've been a Pugs fan for like a long time, and while I do find some G2 fans insufferable, I, I think it's pretty easy to root for like the players and Pugs. I've followed him since his rise through Challenger, and and I just, I would love for the guy to have success, you know, and like, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd struggle to be on Reddit for a year if G2 beat down one and then beat like the LPL team in finals, but like, I would still be happy for Puck. That wouldn't change. I actually, I really like kind of all of the player stories on G2. Like, they're a team that, like, they're so good at being the villain that you can't really hate them, even if you love to root against them. And that's something that I think is an energy that esports really needs. Uh, looking back on Gen G, I need to add one thing. It, I think, so, what people have pointed out details about like face cams or like the reactions in that series by the players on Genji's team, such as Rascal. 
to insinuate that, you know, Rascal's a bit of a bully and that he's pretty violent, potentially. I think there's also, like, other stuff that's kind of been bubbling out of the Korean scene that kind of points towards the same conclusion, but I don't have a lot of info on it. Imagine leaving SKT as a kid because you want to be you want to be in a less serious environment with people your own age. And then you just end up being on a team with a bully, whereas like before, no one's going to chat shit because like, who the rascal would be, would be like beaten up, like literally if he tried to disrespect Faker, like, like, Faker, like not, not just Faker, the rest of the org will not put up with any bullshit towards Faker. And that's why Kim got donezos, let's be honest. Kim disrespected Faker. Like, even though he's a senior, he disrespected Faker. And that's why he's out of the door. And, and Rascal, like, just the level of disrespect and lack of care he shows towards his teammates. And then the Genji documentary is where, like, it's heavily insinuated bullying Bonnie alongside Ruler. Shows that the team culture at Genji is fucking rotten to the core. And when you have a rotten team culture like that, it's a huge struggle, like, sort of win or, like, come together decisively in these events. Yeah, and for me, there's kind of two competitions in the World Championship, right? There are There is, like, the, you know, whose players stack up against whose players, like, the stuff that we all talk about on the surface. But a lot of what decides who actually wins the tournament is who like figures out the meta first, who learns what's good on the patch more quickly than the other teams, who like prepares better for the other teams in the best of five. It's a completely different practice style. It's a completely different environment. Like a lot of teams that are really dominant in the regular split of their individual leagues, they can't change up their workflow enough in order to bring it home in the be- in the world championship. And I think that uh, that's something that you can definitely say might have happened to JD Gaming. They're, them being at Worlds for their first time as an organization, and Gen G also might fall victim to that, given their new coaching staff, right? Because they lost Edgar in uh, right after spring. Yeah. Anyway, I think that in, with the benefit of hindsight. With the benefit of hindsight, I think that, as you said, the, the meta was not really on Gen G's side. But I also just think BDD is an international choker. Sorry, uh, that's all I wanted to say. BDD. BDD, indeed. And I like, I'd love to argue against that one because I think that, um, like, usually when you pin anyone as an international choker, it's more complicated than that. But BDD did not really exert much influence on any of his games in this world so far. I think it's probably a little much to give him a Dade award just for the reason that he wasn't rated necessarily that highly, but it's definitely a better argument than Konami Dade award for sure. Hmm. But I gotta be yeah, real. Please give, it, please give it to BDD and not one of the LPL players. <laughs> And if you do give it to one of the LPL players, you, who do you give it to? Who do I give it to? Lumao's not really shown up this tournament. Mm. Despite some people tooting him to be like the best support. Lumao had That's a all I'd like to say. 
but I, I think that that's... I know this might come as a shock to some people since I've been considered the Lumal stand. Yeah, you're the... the apologist, but, like, well, when... That's just the reality of the situation, right? He didn't perform, and I'm calling it out as it is. He didn't live up to expectation. I hope he comes back stronger, but, but that's just what there is to it. He, he didn't show up as the best support of the tournament. Nowhere close to it. My my choice for the um, LPL specific Dade award, which I will now right right here be christening the God V award, is uh, it's Peanut. Oh no! Mm, well, I mean, from an LPL fan perspective, we all knew Peanut was not not going to be it, not going to be good. But I think it's more like the international fans are like, oh, 2016 Peanut was so good. 2017, he won an MSI with SKT. Oh, Peanut's so good. But, like, they don't realize, you know, two, three years have passed and this dude's like a boomer. Like, he's nowhere near as good as he was back then. So, it's more like Western fans have clung on to, like, this perception of Peanut being good, even though it doesn't match up with the reality anymore. And I, I don't think it's fair to give him, like, the Dade Awards when, like, the fact of the matter is that, you know... Like, so it's different from, like... Dardy actually being really good and then going yeah. to the tournament or something. Godby actually being good throughout spring and summer and like looking better than even Rookie, back, like just the best native LPL, just the best LPL mid above the likes of Rookie back then and still flopping in the tournament. And then, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't have a particularly serious candidate for Dade Award this year, just for that reason. Like, but, but I would say Peanut, contrary to Western expectations, I would say, yeah, then it would be Peanut and not, 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 not Lumao would be a close second. But like with Lumao, he's only been hyped in the West because people haven't actually watched him. And they aren't, but like, whereas I have watched him and like, I'm aware he has weaknesses, but I thought his strengths would outweigh his weaknesses. And it just didn't turn out to be the case come Worlds. Right. And it's like, I think that for our expectations for individual players, most of them pretty much panned out around the same level. Like, I mean, Peanut was still a little worse than I think we expected him to be. He was definitely like the anchor of LGD, whereas usually he's been a little bit more of a, like maybe a passenger in some games, but definitely not just running it. But like, aside from that, most players were definitely kind of in the ranking that we expected them to be. And that makes it pretty much impossible for you to give out a Dade award, especially given like the narratives with most of the real candidates for it in the past, which have been like, you know, they're not preparing. They're like super arrogant, stuff like that. I don't see any of that from any player for the entire tournament, uh, let alone specifically in the LPL. Yeah. Anyway, other than do- then, what will be the reverse star there? Who has utterly exceeded your expectations? Who has had the the glow up, so to speak? I forget it's Angel. Um, Angel, we were kind of looking at him as potentially the weak link on Sooning, but I mean, not not that we considered him a weak player. He's just kind of one tier below the top mids at the tournament, right? But Angel has really been showing up. And the the three games that he played against Caps in, in particular were really nice. Um, you can kind of knock against him some of the like mechanical misplays in the first game versus G2. But that's also like comms completely broke down and everything like that. Otherwise, 
Angel's been really exerting his influence over the game so far. And like the Akali game and picking Akali for like the first time in a really long while and then just absolutely styling on it when it's been a pick that a lot of players have been completely trapped by, right? That was that was really nice. Angel's one of my candidates, but I I think I would add Casa and Soda to that shortlist because Casa, mm. as we said, like in the carry jungle meta where you wouldn't expect him to flourish, uh, was able to pull his weight and be really good against one of the best carry junglers at the tournament. Like I think it's self-made SOFM and Canyon up there. Yeah. With- uh, but Casa held his own, showed he could go toe-to-toe in not his meta with his picks. Yeah, that was that's really impressive from him. I would have to agree. <laughs> And Sordar also stepped up in the sense that like he wasn't playing at this level in the LPL. But like he's he's looked very good. Yeah, Sordar has had some like really hard carry games. Before going in, I don't think anyone had him close to being like one of the best supports of the tournament, but with the way things have shaped out, like I think I think he's even surpassed Mickey X, in my opinion. I had him right below um Right below Carrier. I don't know well, why. Uh, oh, are you talking about pre-tournament or like yeah, pre-tournament. now? You'd, ha- you'd rank Carrier high. Um, well, no, my pre-tournament rankings it was Carrier and then Sword Art. I'm, I'm oh, likewise, up. likewise. I had Carrier like pretty high up. You know, I had Lumal highest, followed by Carrier. I, I think for me, uh, I might have overvalued Carrier's mechanics a little bit, maybe. I'll have to do a post-mortem on my own player. No, it's not Carrier's fault, you see. It's the CV Max DNA. What did I tell you? Yeah, fuck. CV Max DNA debuff, which makes Carrier look worse than he actually is. And Trovi, by extension. Not my fault, white people happy. Yeah. Anyway, I think that's pretty much everything that we could have or, like, really wanted to discuss without, like beating a dead horse and milking our points dry to the point of boredom what do you think um really quick let's get some uh let's get some game score predictions for the semifinals. what do you think about uh sunning versus top esports 3-1 or 3-2 to top why do i say this i'm not going to be watching the series for starters so i don't jinx top because every series I watch, they lose. Every series I don't know. Not every series. Sorry. Every game I watch, they lose. Every game I don't watch, they win. I can... No, no, no. Okay, jokes aside, I just think that Sooning cannot exploit the draft. The, like, Sooning can't get away with, like, their bands. Mm-hmm. Because JDG... They only got away with it against JDG because JDG have, like, a more limited champion pool. But 369 and Knight have, like, a champion ocean. I also think individually, yeah, just individually, like, Sooning rely on, like, brute force, but, like, top have just as much brute force in the bag if they want to. For this one, I'm going to go with a 3-1 to Sooning Gaming. And my this just... Is based on form, right? I think that is pretty legitimate. Sooning have looked really hard. But I just yeah. think they won't be able to play the game they want and get away with uh, sort of having been, like... I think people have said against better teams, Sooning will eventually be exploited for having been unable to play weak side outside of Gangplank. I think top will be their reckoning in that regard. Yeah, I, I think that actually top has a much 
easier matchup into Suning than either of the teams on the other side of the bracket. I think that Suning is more favored versus either um, Diamond Gaming or G2. And I agree. That gets... well, I think stylistically, top is a nightmare for Suning because Casa being the radar can sniff out when Sofum wants to do his invades and when SOFM will invade. I, I have no doubt that top will have these preparations and strategies for like murdering him off the moment he like even tries to step foot in like top's jungle. I think that the key for it is going to be whether Angel can hold his own versus Knight after being counterpicked. Because it comes a lot down to the meta that we end up with and whether Knight is willing to pick some of the same things that he was willing to pick in playoffs. Um, Angel had a really hard time getting the right champions in order to be able to play versus uh, versus Knight in the playoffs. And that meant that he was often giving counterpick giving counterpick over to Top Esports versus Bin. And that, I think, was kind of the Achilles heel of uh, Suning's draft strategy for the best of five. If any aspect of that engine is different, I think it's a lot more even. And I'm kind of, yes, like you're right, I am giving it to them just on temperature check. Suning has been so hot at all five positions so far in the tournament that I kind of am favoring them over everyone right now. But I don't think that it's a gimme by any stretch of the imagination. Fair enough. Okay, then, what about the G2 and uh, Dan 1 series? Who you really had your bets with? I'm going to go with 3-0 for Dan 1. I'm going to rip off my LPL shirt and reveal I had a G2 jersey no. this time. I am going to go with G2, 3-1, 3-2. 3-1. Let's go with 3-1. 3-1 for G2. I mean... I, I think G2 will hit Damon with a curveball, and then Damon will, having not faced any kind of challenge or adversity throughout the year, will mental boom and crumble. Like, maybe they recover one game, but G2 will be a step ahead most of the way and just outdraft. No, they know what Damon want to play for, and they will, like, sort of outmaneuver Damon on the map and won't allow Damon to accrue, like, leads. And then people pick comps that like have answers early, but they will go on to outscale. And I think G2 will clap down one. I mean, it's it's a damn interesting matchup just because of because of like G2's really fine ability to kind of get these preparations and get these, you know, drafts and these team compositions that they know how to win on. Dam one though, I mean, I kind of alluded to it earlier. I feel like they have a bag of tricks and nobody's forced them to use any of them. So I don't think they have a bag of tricks. I think they've just stuck with what's successful and they've been very good at what's successful. When they tried to move away from their bag of tricks, they lost, as we saw against JDG. Oh God. And when it's... they tried to play for early game, they couldn't even like actually smash early game the early game call. It's so possible. I, I... Like both of these teams also feel like teams that kind of love to exploit teams that are too passive, right? If they feel like you're scared and you're not willing to go for something, then either of these teams just love to pick that apart, right? So it's honestly really cool to see them against each other because like neither of them is going to back down. We're going to see some pretty interesting maneuvering in the early to mid game. It's just a matter of whose is it better. I think G2 will be better on the day. 
I think G2 also have a bag of tricks that they're not showing. And G2 historically have shown that when they have to pull out the bag of tricks, they have a better success rate at like actually implementing it successfully. Whereas there's no track record for Dan One that they can pull out a bag of tricks for the first time on stage and make it work. So my so I'm gonna go with G2 here. I can't I can't swap my pick. I'm I'm gonna live with the Dam One Three Zero. If it's even a three one, you guys can all uh, burn me an effigy or something. I'm not sure. All right, I think that about wraps up everything. We'll see who's right. If it's a top G two finals, you heard it here first. <laughs> and then, of course, it is going to be a three zero in favor of Top Esports. Because that's the narrative, right? If even one game is in the other direction, then clearly the script writers have been uh, they've been slacking. Anyway, I I I honestly think top won't like this is their wake up call. They're near lost like coming they'll be like super Saiyans, like when, when Saiyans come on the verge of death, like they come back strong. What doesn't kill them makes them stronger. So I expect to see a top like we've never seen before. Oh, man. Okay. Uh, that's a wrap from me. Uh, as always, everyone who's listening, thanks for listening. Sorry it's so long, but we hope that the insights were worth the listen and that you enjoyed like sort of what we were able to bring to the table regarding like our thoughts on the matchup. Anyway, LPL Diallo. LPL Diallo. I think that's everything for us. Uh, definitely give us some comments on whatever service you happen to be listening to this on. We definitely read through all of the feedback and we appreciate it greatly. Uh, we're going to see you guys next week after the semifinals and we will be trying to figure out which one of us is going to receive vague and mysterious punishment for getting everything wrong. <laughs> okay. Uh, I, I'll live and die by what I say. <laughs> Okay. Good night, everyone. Thanks for listening in, and uh, see you next week. Ziden out.